Hi, I'm Leslie Woody, host of the Set Apart Podcast, biblical encouragement for women of all ages. This week, I am excited to be launching into a new series called My Historical Mentors, and this is going to be spiritual lessons from Christ-centered women in history. Now, we've shared a few episodes in the past of some women that have greatly impacted me and their stories, and in this series, I want to unpack the lives of some different women that maybe you haven't heard of or we haven't covered yet on this podcast. And I want to take a look today at what really makes a Christian hero, because you'll hear me reference men and women from Christian history quite quite often when I am sharing biblical truth, and I want to unpack what that really means to be a Christian hero before we launch into going through specific women's lives. We've just finished our biblical mindset series. There were a few topics I didn't quite get to cover, but there are plenty of episodes for you to catch up on if you missed some or all of that series. I encourage you to go back and listen to it as you have time. I also wanted to let you know that our 2024 Ellerslie Discipleship Programs are open for registration, so if you'd like a season away, to come away with Jesus and go deeper in truth and connect with like-minded men and women from all over the world. We would love to host you in Colorado for one of our five-week or week-long programs next year. You can go to ellerslie.com or click the link in this podcast description. So let's talk about what makes a Christian hero and specifically what makes the type of woman who can really become a spiritual mentor. Now, there is a huge difference between mentoring and true discipleship. Mentoring is kind of a buzzword these days. And even though I'm calling the series My Historical Mentors, they're really so much more than that. A lot of times the modern definition of being a mentor is just kind of being a buddy or a life coach or a cheerleader, go out to coffee and you know hear what the person's going through and just encourage them. But discipleship goes a lot deeper than that. And I know for me, I long for true discipleship, Christians who will challenge me me out of my comfort zone, who will remind me never to pitch my tent, never to stop short of all that God has for me. And this happens either just by watching the way they live or hearing the words they speak or both. Men and women who constantly point me back to the word of God as the ultimate solution to any challenge I might be facing. And that's really what true discipleship is all about. But often those of us who are longing for older godly women who can mentor us don't really see those kinds of women or don't have access access to them. They're sometimes a rare breed in the church today. But what I have found in my own life is that there are a plethora of true disciplers throughout Christian history. And so many of these women have become my spiritual mentors through their stories, through their testimonies, through their messages, through their biographies. I think the first time I encountered a truly historical mentor who understood that life of discipleship was when I was 17 years old and I read Elizabeth Elliot's biography of Amy Carmichael, which is called A Chance to Die. And this book I read when I didn't know that much about Amy Carmichael, but I was immediately drawn by her passion for Christ and how seriously she took the word of God and how radical her obedience to him was. And I knew from the very beginning, this was going to be a special book because she was born on my birthday, December 16th. So I felt like this book was meant just for me to read at 17 years old. That was a special thing. And it made an impact that I still remember to this day. In fact, really the vision for Set Apart came out of what I encountered encountered in the life of Amy Carmichael. There was one specific quote that Elizabeth Elliot said about Amy Carmichael that I've shared on this podcast before, but it was talking about Amy as a young woman. And she said, the preoccupations of young women don't seem to change much from generation to generation. It's always their looks, their clothes, their social life. But in every generation, there seem to be a few who make other choices. And Amy was one of the few. And that so inspired me to become 
among the few as well that would build my life around Christ, not just fit him in where it was convenient. And that was the really the catalyst that sparked me on this set-apart journey. And ever since then, other women from history have, quote, mentored me through their stories, through their biographies, through their testimonies. Most of the time they have lived in other generations, previous eras, but their stories really are timeless because their lives and their obedience and all that they lived out was based in the word of God. In our modern Christian culture, there can be a lot of emphasis on being culturally relevant, being socially sensitive, being relatable, being real and authentic with other women your own age. These are all very hot topics in the church today. But I remember once hearing a godly older woman say that when you rally together around the timeless, unchanging word of God, it is always relevant, it is always applicable, and it is always relatable. It doesn't matter if a 30-year-old woman is meeting with a 70-year-old woman They can relate to each other if they come together around the unchanging word of God. And that's what these historical women have done in my life. And I want to share their stories with you and some of the things that I personally gleaned from them. But before we begin to unpack the specific stories, what I want to do in this episode is to tackle the question, what makes a Christian hero? Because there is a really big difference between human accomplishment and human inspiration and total dependence upon Christ, a life that points you to Jesus. A lot of us know inspiring women, or we have observed inspiring women, even modern day women who are inspiring, women who maybe overcame incredible obstacles and they rose up to reach their full potential, whether it's they're an athlete or a politician or someone who overcame a lot of hardship in their life. We see and hear about these stories in our culture today, even in documentaries, even on billboards in the airport, you'll see them, or news stories. And of course, we can be inspired and motivated by those stories, and it can definitely cause us to want to rise up and become a better person. And that's all great stuff. But there is a difference between a true Christian hero and just an inspiring character from our modern times or from history, because a true Christian hero does something more than just inspire us. A true Christian hero leads us closer to Jesus Christ because of his or her own intimate walk with him. In this episode, I want to share some biblical principles that I believe characterize the women who have truly impacted the world for eternity and not just temporarily with earthly inspiration. And I hope this will be an encouragement to you because it's very easy to feel like Christian heroes are special people whose lives we can never measure up to. These principles from scripture have reminded me that even as I look up to these historical spiritual mentors, I have a calling to be an example to others in this generation and And it's not about my ability, my talent, my wits, my brilliance, but it's about my willingness to simply point others to Jesus Christ. And when we make Jesus the highest priority of our lives, that will be the natural outflow. So even if you don't feel much like a spiritual mentor, if you are willing to get out of the way and point others to Jesus, God will use you to impact others' lives. And we've talked in other episodes about that principle in scripture, the older women are called to teach the younger women, which means to lead by example. And even if you're 18 years old, you're called to lead by example those who might be younger than you. This is not just a calling for certain women who have reached a certain age in the church. This is a calling upon all of us. And so these are principles that mark true Christian heroes and they're principles that God can give us the grace to walk in as well. And the first Christian hero principle that I want to highlight is humility. Another word for it would be 
meekness. And I mentioned Amy Carmichael in her biography earlier. She was really instrumental in teaching me or showing me what humility looks like in a practical way because she left everything to go to the mission field and she had so many opportunities in that time to make a name for herself. It was There were a lot of Europeans settling in India, which is where she was, and it was kind of fashionable to be a European living in India, and she could have easily become a very popular Christian speaker among the Christians living in India at the time. She had loads of doors opening for her because she was a very charismatic person and very articulate in speaking the gospel and speaking truth. But she was feeling this burden to wash the feet of the children of India who had no advocates. And God began to bring helpless children to her doorstep. And they came by the dozens, and then they came by the hundreds. And it was the early 1900s, so the concept of caring for vulnerable children was not definitely not very well established or very common in the day and age and the culture in which she was living. She wrote to a lot of pastors and Christians in her area of India, asking whether anyone would be willing to work alongside her to care for these helpless children. And in essence, they all really said the same thing. That kind of work is too demeaning. It's too lowly. We have more important things to invest our time into. She was really disappointed, but she could also relate to that feeling because she had to wrestle through it herself. She was faced with the choice between touring and being an evangelist and being kind of a famous missionary or staying home to change diapers and rock children to sleep. And that was, of course, before caring for vulnerable children was looked at as important work. So it was kind of like choosing obscurity. And God spoke to her so clearly about choosing the path of humility. So other Christians felt that caring for these children was too degrading of a job for someone like her because she was very talented and she was young and she had her whole life ahead of her. She was giving up large-scale impact in order order to serve the very weakest of that society. But then she was reminded of the example of Jesus when he took a towel and washed his disciples' feet. It says in John 13, 3-4, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. And then this is what Amy wrote about that. He took a towel. The Lord of glory did that. Is it the bond servant's business to say which work is large and which is small, which is unimportant and which is worth doing? The question answered itself and was not asked again. And many years later, because she lived according to that principle, she wrote these words in her book, If, if I covet any place except the dust at the foot of the cross, then I know nothing of Calvary love. And her decision to choose the dust at the foot of the cross opened the door for her to rescue hundreds of children from death and destruction, to disciple them. And she also impacted countless Christians around the world, even decades after she died, because when we humble ourselves, God does lift us up. He does impact the world through our lives. Jesus said, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. And despite what we often believe, our lives will bear eternal fruit only when we choose to follow in those dust footprints of our humble Lord. So the word meek in that verse I just quoted means humble and gentle. And it's actually the same word used in 1 Peter 3, 4 to describe the beauty, the inner incorruptible beauty of a Christ-centered woman, the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great worth. I used to think that that meant a somber, mousy woman sitting in a dark corner knitting, and that wasn't a very appealing image to me. It was hard for me to see meekness and humility as something beautiful or desirable, 
but true meekness is not timid or mousy. A woman who is meek exudes the beautiful, quiet strength of one who is fully surrendered to her father's will and lives for his glory alone. And that's the meekness that Christ demonstrated when he left his throne. He became of no reputation. He was born in a humble stable. It was meekness that he expressed when he bent his knee and washed his disciples' feet. It was meekness that he showed in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, not my will, but yours be done. In Matthew Henry's commentary on this phrase, blessed are the meek, he says, the meek are those who quietly submit themselves to God, to his word and to his rod, who follow his directions and comply with his designs and are gentle toward all men, having rule over their own spirit. So we see in scripture and throughout history, women who demonstrated that kind of humility. Mary, the mother of Jesus, demonstrated that quality when she kept all these things, all these amazing things that had happened to her and pondered them in her heart. Rather than broadcasting the fact that she had been chosen to be the mother of the savior of the world, she chose to quietly obey God without pomp or fanfare. Some of the most beautiful glimpses of godly femininity I've ever seen have come from women who just shone with that kind of humility as one of their chief qualities, and God used that to change the world. I'll be highlighting some of these women, but I think about Lilius Trotter, who was a woman in the late 1800s who gave up wealth and fame and fortune to pour out her life in the slums of Algeria. I think of Biddy Chambers, the wife of Oswald Chambers, who made a similar choice. After her husband's death, she chose to quietly serve at a house, cooking and cleaning and counseling, and then typing notes from his lectures into daily Bible reflections to share with Christians around the world. And she had so many things she could have pursued, but she took the lowest place. And as a result, God changed the world through her. Corey Ten Boom, whom I often talk about on this podcast, demonstrated the same kind of meekness. When you look at the way she lived her ministry, she became one of the most well-known Christians in her day, and yet she was never too busy or thought of herself as too important to take time to just minister to one lonely soul that she would encounter in her travels. She shared Christ's love with refugees, prisoners who were about to die, the sick and dying, customs officials at airports. She didn't try to seek fame and fortune. And even though there are women all throughout history like this, and they all have different stories, I do see that quality of meekness and humility as a common thread among Christian women that I look up to. It was because they chose to quietly submit themselves to God that he was able to work so powerfully through them. It is really easy to approach even ministry with a selfish mentality, assuming that if a specific task or job doesn't really personally appeal to us, we shouldn't need to do it. But one thing that I have found in being in Christian ministry is that ministries are always looking for workers who will happily do whatever needs to be done rather than demanding a job that personally caters to their likes and dislikes. Jesus talks about giving in secret and not letting your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And that's really a very unusual concept that most of us don't naturally want to live out today. A lot of modern Christian women share about their steps of obedience, the ways they're serving others on social media or in casual conversations. And in our modern world, this is not usually seen as bragging or boasting, but just sharing life with friends and family. And of course, it's not always wrong to let people know what you've been doing, how you've been working in ministry, and to ask for their prayers. But in a lot of cases, God actually does want us to serve behind the scenes without our left hand, knowing what our right is doing, and doing what we do, taking our steps of obedience for the eyes of our King alone. And sometimes He does need to walk us through a season of obscurity so that we really understand what it means to walk in humility. 
There are many inspiring women throughout history and in today's world, but not many who are willing to walk that path of true godly humility. The second principle is becoming a friend of the bridegroom. Again, this is a concept we've talked about before, but is definitely a common thread that I see in women who are more than just inspiring, women who point us to Jesus. It comes from the concept of John the Baptist when he said, my joy is complete when others see the bridegroom, not when they see me. He said, I must decrease so that Jesus would increase. And Amy Carmichael said something similar. If I slip into the place that can be filled by Christ alone, making myself the first necessity to a soul, instead of leading it to fasten upon him, then I know nothing of Calvary love. This principle is so profoundly true, but it is the opposite of the way most of us approach friendships and relationships and ministry work, because our culture teaches us that if we can become indispensable in someone's life, that's the best way to reach them, and that makes us you know, feel good and that we're really making an impact in their lives. But God's pattern for true love, true discipleship, and true ministry is different. The Apostle Paul shared a deep, heartfelt love with the Christians that he taught and discipled. But in all his interactions with the early churches, his ultimate goal was to point them back to Jesus, not to himself. He said in 1 Corinthians 2, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And when some Christians tried to attach themselves to him in an unhealthy way, they were more preoccupied with Paul than with Jesus. He corrected them by saying, was Paul crucified for you or were you baptized in the name of Paul? When Paul describes the kind of Calvary love that God has called us to live by, he says, love is not self-seeking. In other words, Christ's love does not selfishly seek first place. It always considers the other person's highest good. And the highest good that anyone can ever find is not something we ourselves can offer. It's only found in Jesus Christ and him crucified. So our goal in every friendship or relationship should be to fasten that soul to Christ and not ourselves. We are called to be a reflection of Christ's love in our relationships, but we should never take first place in another person's heart. One thing that I admire about the women in history that I truly have been impacted by is that they continually point those they encounter back to Jesus Christ rather to themselves. And one thing that I've noticed in my own life in just ministering to others or in reading about the lives of these women that have so impacted me is that no matter how seemingly complicated a person's issues may be, the root problem is still the same, sin. And the true solution is still the same, Jesus Christ. And true Christian heroes continually point us back to him as the ultimate source, our all in all, our true solution. They don't try to draw attention to them or some other newfangled human solution. They always point back to Jesus. They decrease that he might increase. And the third Christian hero principle is obedience at any cost. And this is probably the biggest one and the most impacting one. And I could just go on and on and on about key moments in Christian heroes' lives where they chose to obey at any cost. But a few quick examples. Betty Scott Stam, who was a missionary to China, when she was only 18 or 19 years old, she wrote in her Bible, Lord, I give my entire life to you to spend as you desire at any cost. And she did give up her life only a few years later as a martyr in China, and her martyrdom went on to inspire hundreds of other Christians to become missionaries around the world. Amy Carmichael, who we've been talking about, 
described when she left her friends and her family and all the comforts of home to sail for the mission field and knew she was never coming back. She said her heart was broken and it was never fully mended, but Jesus was enough. And she said that at the very end of her life, he has been enough. So even though she had to say goodbye to everyone she loved and it really did break her heart, Jesus was enough. And that again is obedience at any cost. Elizabeth Elliot has a really amazing testimony about meeting the man of her dreams, Jim Elliot, having him be interested in her, and yet giving that up, laying that down in order to put Christ first and not wanting to stand in the way of his call from God. And that requires supernatural enabling grace to be able to give up a hope and a dream that you've had your whole life and to finally meet the man that you feel like is is supposed to be your husband and then lay down the hope of marrying that person in order to put Christ first. That's obedience at every cost. Darlene Deibler, another one we've talked about many times on this podcast, losing everything as a missionary and having been taken captive by the Japanese in the Second World War, losing her husband, almost dying, um, being filled with disease and just so many, so many heartaches. And yet going home to America after the war and deciding to go back and return to the very place where she had lost so much to pour her life out for the glory of God. That is obedience at any cost. Lillian Trasher, who started the first Christian orphanage in Egypt, walked away from a marriage proposal from the man of her dreams in order to embrace the single life and pour out her life for orphans in Egypt. Again, obedience at any cost. And the list goes on and on. Often what I see when older women try to mentor younger women today, they get together for coffee or a Bible study and they just talk casually about truth. This is one of the key principles that is often missing in modern mentoring, in modern discipleship relationships. We can't really point others to Jesus and help them understand the true gospel life until we ourselves are willing to follow him at any cost. And that is one way that I have been challenged over and over again by the women that we're going to be studying in this series. They constantly remind me by their examples that no sacrifice is too great for the one who gave everything for me. So here are some final thoughts that I want to share with you. We often look at Christian heroes as special Christians, men and women who do things we could never do or live out lives we could never live out. And yet one thing that God has shown me and reminded me of over and over again is that there are no special Christians. There are only faithful Christians. And that is something that God can equip each one of us to be. I am excited to walk through this series with you and unpack the lives of some of the women who lived out these principles. But meanwhile, I pray that these things we've talked about today will give you encouragement that you can step into that role of building your life around Christ and impacting this world without going out there and really trying to do it. Because when you build your life around Christ, an impact upon this world is going to be the natural result. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to go deeper into what it means to live a set-apart life, I encourage you to visit our website, setapart.org, and look at the many resources that we have for you there. I pray you have a blessed and Christ-centered